You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Biden lost a lot of goodwill. He lost a lot of the trust that was given to him at the outset of this year. The Democratic Party can't find its way back to the JFK days because it's so far over to the left. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. People generally don't have a favorable view of Congress, but they do of their own congressmen. It's got to be something that all 50 senators, every single 50 senator can support. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. One day closer to a possible shutdown with no confirmed solution and now just 20 days to a possible default with no confirmed plan to handle the debt ceiling. Welcome to Tuesday as Democrats head back to the drawing board after the government funding bill and the suspension of the debt ceiling failed to pass the Senate just like everyone expected. And as we draw closer to a House vote this week on infrastructure and the presentation of what Democratic leaders are calling a framework for reconciliation, we'll bring you inside Washington this hour. We're going to hear from the leaders. We'll talk with Senator John Ossoff, Democrat from Georgia, about his solar energy proposal for reconciliation. It aims at China. And we'll talk more about the process coming up with Congressman Dan Kildee of Flint, Michigan. He'll join us live on the line. The classic panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. The voices are echoing louder in the halls of Congress as deadlines draw closer. I was in the Capitol a couple of hours today. The energy is matching the moment with questions about government funding, the debt ceiling, infrastructure, reconciliation. Speaker Nancy Pelosi acknowledging earlier infrastructure will get a vote before reconciliation, but she's still promising progressives, as I mentioned, this framework for what reconciliation will look like even as they build the plane in flight. And that's where we start with Congressman Dan Kildee, Democrat from Michigan, who serves on the House Ways and Means and Budget Committees, making him a very busy man and putting him in the center of this grand debate. Congressman, welcome. I'll ask you in a moment about the solar manufacturing legislation you and Senator Ossoff unveiled this morning. First, though, I wonder if you can tell us where things stand after the government funding bill failed last night in the Senate. Will Democrats have a plan B ready by Thursday at midnight? We will, and I think we're down to maybe plan C or D at this point in time. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, the expectation is that when it comes to the debt ceiling and when it comes to simply keeping the doors of government open by continuing current funding levels, that we get those things done. Of course, you know, since I've been here in Congress, I've seen things that are not really inherently partisan or political become very political and very partisan, and unfortunately that's what we're seeing now. We have very slim majorities in the House and the Senate. 
We have different views among Democrats. So if it's just left to us, which unfortunately it appears it's been just left to Democrats to solve these problems, it's like threading a needle. We'll get there, but it's not going to be pretty. Government funding itself is hopefully not controversial as a standalone bill, right? That should pass uh, with with bipartisan support. Well, one would hope. One would hope that a continuing resolution, which means we're not getting into uh, new programs, new spending, new ideas, that even though uh, you know some may disagree with what we're doing right now, the fact is those decisions have been made, and the only question on a continuing resolution, it should be anyway, if it's a clean, so-called clean CR, yeah. is just do we keep the doors open until we can come up with a more full spending plan for 2022? I hope... I hope that we were able to get this through. I think we will. I think push comes to shove. Typically, I've been through this a few times. Our backs are against the wall, and uh, we'll, we'll get it done. But I, I, I regret that so much energy has to go into you know, the debt ceiling and the continuing resolution when those really should be fairly automatic. And, and some big stuff at hand. I'd like to, Congressman, just tick through a couple of them quickly as we'll follow priorities by deadline. How about that? There's an infrastructure vote, of course, set for Thursday uh, will it pass the House even though reconciliation is not ready? I'm not sure uh, that, that it will, a vote will be called without reconciliation being ready. I think the deadline for reconciliation, the framework to be in place, is the House vote on the infrastructure bill because so many members have said they won't vote for one without the other. Right. I'm not in that camp, just to be clear. I, I believe if we put a bill on the floor, that has bipartisan support, that moves us forward on infrastructure, uh, it's an opportunity that we should embrace, knowing that we will have other items to take up, the Build Back Better Act. And I don't believe the views dramatically change on the, the content of that legislation based on whether or not we can pass the infrastructure bill. And, and to be clear, what this really comes down to is what the Democrats in the Senate can put 50 votes together. Well, that was my next question. Are we at the point where we're just waiting for the Senate to set the line on a price tag, Congressman? It would help if if we would hear less about what people oppose and more about <laughs> what they would support. And you know, obviously there are two Democratic senators that have been you know, quite focused on pushing back against the $3.5 trillion package. I get that. Mm-hmm. That's a number that, that may be too big to get through uh, a government that is, is this divided as it is. But what I want to hear is not what we won't do or what they can't do. I want to hear what they will do, because Understood. I think we can get our arms around that. I know the Ways and Means Committee passed your legislation to expand tax credits for buying electric vehicles Bloomberg's David Weston today spoke with the boss at Ford, uh, Jim Farley, about Ford's $11 billion investment. It was a pretty big announcement in new plants to build EVs and batteries. I'd like to you to hear what he said, and then I'll ask you about it. Here's Jim Farley. We at Ford, we were the leader of integrated manufacturing at the Ruse. We introduced this moving assembly line at the Piquet plant where my grandfather worked. And this is a chance for us to redo, you know, manufacturing in this country. Congressman Kildee, are you and other members working with companies like Ford and GM to expand manufacturing of EVs? We are. One of the pieces that I'm working on is the consumer credit for purchase of an electric vehicle. And what we think that robust consumer credit will do is give companies like Ford and GM and Stellantis and others the confidence that they can make the capital investment that it takes to make this transition 
to electrification. And now, of course, seeing Ford and GM and others doing this is evidence that if we can put together a framework that says we have an industrial policy, we're going to support domestic manufacturing, we're not going to let China own the domestic, or I'm sorry, own the, the global electric vehicle market. We're going to mm-hmm. claim this as our own. We have to make decisions to get us there. It's good to see Ford doing what they're doing. We want to put fuel, if you don't mind the analogy. Sure. We want to put more fuel into that uh, by, by having this really robust consumer credit. I was in the Senate gallery today when you and, and Senator Ossoff rolled out legislation along with uh, several of your colleagues to boost manufacturing of solar panels here in the U.S. Similar, your comments about China sound very similar to this story as well. How does this Solar Manufacturing Act help companies in Michigan compete with China? Well, right now we compete. Like for example, Hemlock Semiconductor from from Michigan, right, right in my just the area of my district. Mm-hmm. Uh, they compete with uh, with polysilicon produced by forced labor in Xinjiang, China. There's no way that a, an American company with American workers and decent wages can compete with essentially slave labor. So what we want to do is two things. One, enforce existing law to prevent the uh, import of Chinese-made goods that, that exploited workers in order to undercut our, our costs. But the most important piece, and the reason Senator Ossoff and I introduced this legislation, is to not just get the panel production, but the entire supply chain for the solar industry reshored into the United States so that we're not in the position of being held captive by China or other foreign production for our own efforts to rebuild and do so in a way that's good for both the economy and the environment. If we can reshore this entire supply chain, not only do we put lots of Americans to work with good-paying jobs, but we accelerate the transition to renewable energy, which is obviously good for everyone. I know that you're playing in the congressional baseball game tomorrow night. Somebody, a little birdie, told me there was a practice tonight. You're going to be cutting deals in the dugout? <laughs> so the Democrats, we practice early in the morning. We practice at 7 a.m. We hear the Republicans have got a practice tonight. Uh-huh. What we're doing, we do have a practice tomorrow morning. We will cut some deals in the dugout. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, baseball is an analogy for for society. Here, here. And and so I I love the game and I'm looking forward to it. And actually, in the midst of all of this, it's a chance for Democrats and Republicans to come together and well, have I hope so have a contest that is not quite as consequential as most of the debates that we engage in. I hear you're catching. No, I I'm a first baseman and okay, a designated hitter. I can get down to catch, but I can't get back up again. Congressman Dan Kildee, Democrat from Michigan, thank you for being with us on Bloomberg. Good luck on the field. As I mentioned, Congressman Kildee is co-sponsoring the solar legislation with Senator John Ossoff, Democrat from Georgia. He showed up this morning in the Senate gallery with the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. Listen. It's a big deal that we are joined today by the chair of the Senate Finance Committee uh, to urge the inclusion of this vital solar legislation in reconciliation. Senator Ron Wyden considered an important endorsement at this stage. The proposal aimed again at bringing manufacturing of solar panels to the U.S. from China, ending imports, Chinese-made solar panels made, they say, with slave labor. I asked Senator Ossoff a few questions off to the side, like how long it could take for U.S. solar production to get up and running on that scale. 
we need to be energy independent. We need to be able to meet the strategic imperative of addressing climate change without relying upon imports. Mm -hmm. And because of the severe and growing concerns uh, about the potential extent of forced labor um, in particular Chinese polysilicon manufacturing. So it could be years, not months, to achieve that level. We will begin to see immediate effects from the moment that this becomes law. Um, but across the supply chain, there's going to be variability uh, in terms of the time it will take to scale to full capacity. But the, the work has to begin immediately. What do you tell your moderate Democratic colleagues who are calling to shrink the size of this reconciliation bill as you're looking to add to it? Well, I think what you heard today was um, a united front across House and Senate that as negotiations continue, this legislation must be integral to the reconciliation package. Um, we have no choice but to meet the challenge posed by climate change and to do it now. This is a vital component of that effort and it needs to be in the bill. Will it add to the cost? Uh, investment in scaling solar manufacturing capacity um, will have a positive return for the taxpayer and in jobs. It's a wise investment for us to make now. Senator John Ossoff speaking with us today on Bloomberg Sound On. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us the fastest hour in politics. I think we're losing some people as the legislative soup gets a little more murky. Makes you want to spin back an old episode of Schoolhouse Rock. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. But of course, none of that applies anymore. It's a new legislative age here where sometimes a bill comes from a very different process. Like now. And before we move any further, I thought it was important to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about here. There are two different deadlines we are facing. None of this, by the way, has to do with infrastructure here. Two different problems. One is funding the government. As we just heard from the congressman, the continuing resolution, the CRs, they call it, would pay for government operations when things run out Friday at 12.01 a.m., I'm guessing most of our listeners in Washington and the federal workforce get this. The other is the debt ceiling. Raising or suspending it would establish a new line of credit, as they say, to pay our bills before we potentially default next month. Treasury Secretary says October 20th. They just happen to be bundled together in an exercise in futility this week on Capitol Hill. All of this with apologies to the panel because they are experts. Bloomberg politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Jeannie, I don't know where to start after everything we've heard in the last 20 minutes here, but we really have not moved the ball very much in the last week. I looked back to what we were talking about last Tuesday, and that was the day we learned Democrats would attach the debt ceiling to the continuing resolution. Did we just waste a whole week? We did, and, and that song brought back a lot of 
fond memories of a time when <laughs> bills would steps. sit on the hill yes. and, and wait to be passed and, and doesn't look like that's happening here. Um, you, you know, I, I think Representative Kildee in your excellent conversation with him, I mean, you two were, it was fascinating to listen because you're talking about can a clean continuing resolution that everybody supports actually yeah. pass? I mean, that's what we've gotten to, you know, just, you know, now hours, we could put it in hours before the government shut down. And I have to say, I spent much of my day today trying to explain all of this to <laughs> undergraduates I'm so who, sorry. who look at you with, you know, and, and say, what? Why? And it's hard to explain it to any thinking person as to why we're in this situation yeah. when you look at the totality of what is facing Congress this week. Wait, so uh, to be clear, by the way, Yellen, uh, Jenny Yellen said the 18th of October, and it's going to be in and around that day. Mark Zandi yesterday told us the 20th. I don't know if that matters to you, uh, Ray Davis, is is simply paying for the government. Forget the debt ceiling for one moment. A controversial item right now? Uh, I don't think the debt ceiling on its own is controversial. But then again, as you point out, Joe, none of this is actually controversial uh, as a policy on its own. It's just politics, and and everybody's playing politics. I mean, uh, Schumer put a a joint debt relief and ceiling raising and a CR in front of the Senate. Republicans voted against it. It couldn't make the number. Then Mitch McConnell, the minority leader, put a clean CR on the table. Democrats Mm -hmm. voted against it, couldn't get the number. All of these things will wind up passing. Uh, Everyone's going through the political machinations to be able to say, I told you so, uh, and point the finger. Uh, If only we could have a blackout in Washington until midnight (laughs) on Friday. Um, then, then the American public would be spared, you know, the dirty business of politics. Right. But, but these are things that I think Congress has done over and over and over for, for longer than you and I have been hanging around, and, and they will continue to do so. It's just this time around, and I think Congressman Kildee made this point, um, it's just overly politicized, and it doesn't really need to be. Based on the state of the power grid right now, I suppose anything is possible. But you guys hearing talk about the 14th Amendment, uh, with regard to the debt ceiling, because, by the way, this hasn't changed any. They haven't solved exactly how they're going to do this. It looks like there will be a standalone clean CR, fund the government. Unclear exactly how Democrats handle the debt ceiling. If that's done through reconciliation, some say no. Now we're hearing about the 14th Amendment. Speaker Nancy Pelosi was asked about it today in a briefing. Here's what she said. Is that something that you're thinking about? I'll that? let you know soon. No, I mean, the point is, is it's in the Constitution. We really do not have to go through this all the time. It's a complicated matter here, but the 14th Amendment says the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. This was written three years after the Civil War ended. Jeannie, is this for real? It is for real. It would give the president power, by the way, to to just let this keep riding. We'd have no debt ceiling. That's right. And and we didn't for a long period of American history. I mean, this this debt ceiling was actually put in to help make government work. And it did that for many, many decades. And that, as we as we sit here today, has stopped happening. So I think, you know, thinking about the 14th Amendment at this point makes a good deal of sense. And we've got to say, did what worked, you know, when this was put in in the early 1900s? Does that still continue today? And the answer seems to be no, because here we are are facing, you know, in a matter of weeks, at least reaching the debt ceiling. We only have a minute. I bet you Rick Davis knows about this. This came up uh, in the Clinton administration. It came up again in the Obama administration where they had lawyers take a look at this, Rick. 
Yeah. I mean, everybody has been trying to figure out a way to paper over the idea that we have to go through this every year. And and there are legislative fixes to this. Uh, no party has been willing to be the one that says we're not going to make this uh, an issue anymore. And so uh, I do think uh, after this, we're going to have to look at that. But right now, there is a clear way to fix this and mm-hmm. Congress needs to fix it. The realists as ever, Rick Davis with us and Jeannie Shanzano for the hour are panel here, our classic panel on Sound On. Coming up, we'll talk with Gordon Gray, Director of Fiscal Policy at the American Action Forum, to see how these ideas fly with him. Stay here, we'll check markets and traffic on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The headline on the terminal, Progressives Defy Pelosi, Vow to Vote No on Infrastructure. And nothing changed magically overnight. As I told the great Tom Keen this morning, I woke up to the sounds of Sonny and Cher this morning, like a scene from Groundhog Day. As I read from the Bloomberg this afternoon, House progressives are lining up to defy Speaker Pelosi and oppose a bipartisan infrastructure bill Thursday. Congressman Dan Kildee telling us last hour, uh, last half hour, I should say, that vote may not even happen now. And we'll talk about it next with Gordon Gray, Director of Fiscal Research at the American Action. The debt ceiling will not be resolved today, even with a trillion-dollar coin. Did you hear about that one? Search for it on the terminal. And it seems infrastructure will also not be solved today. A statement out this afternoon from Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Progressive Caucus, who we've been watching and, and listening to very closely lately. Quote, progressives will vote for both bills, referring to the bipartisan infrastructure and the reconciliation. But, she writes, a majority of our members will only vote for the infrastructure bill after the president's visionary Build Back Better Act passes. We'll only vote for it after, not the reconciliation framework, but after the bill passes, she writes. And as we heard again from... Congressman Kildee, maybe there is no vote on Thursday now, so then what happens to the moderates? That's where we start with Gordon Gray, Director of Fiscal Policy at the American Action Forum and former Senior Policy Advisor to Senator Rob Portman. Gordon, it's great to have you with us. Senator Portman has been a dealmaker. In fact, he was a dealmaker in the beginnings of this bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, He understands the process here. Are we going to see a break between moderates and progressives in the other party and the Democratic Party here to make something happen? Or have you counted this out? So first, thanks so much for having me on. And and I think what we're what we're going to see this week is, you know, Congress uh, has one critical deadline this week, and that's the end of the fiscal year. Yes. Uh, and by the end of that, they have to fund the government. So there's only one real deadline this week, and then you have another very real deadline in three weeks with the debt limit. Well, before you even no get that real... far, is the mm-hmm. government funding bill going to pass, or are we actually, is that become a controversy in, in 2021? 
so that one's going to pass. I think okay. both parties recognize that they've got a bigger fight to to have over the debt ceiling in in three weeks. Neither party thinks it's in either either of their interests to shut the government down, particularly you know while we're still grappling with a pandemic. There's already been discussions among congressional leadership about how to how to pass a clean CR, get the government funded through early December, and then live to fight another day. And that's what they're going to do. So you see that happening uh, essentially a sure thing. It has to happen, and and the Democrats have promised that it will. As far as the debt ceiling goes, will that be yeah. Democrats only to handle as well? And, and how? what's the vehicle? How do they do it? So that so that's the real challenge. And I think we're as close to risking uh, a potential technical default since huh. we've been in, in 10 years. And part of that is because both sides have sort of painted themselves into rhetorical cor- uh, corners, mm-hmm. and it's unclear how they're going to get themselves out of it. Democrats do have the opportunity and the ability procedurally to do this on their own. They chose not to put a debt limit increase in their uh, reconciliation uh, in the budget resolution that gave rise to the reconciliation bill. They chose not to do it over the summer. They still have time to do it, and that's what Republicans are counting on. Yeah. I have to tell you, Gordon, I've thought more than once this week that maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the time we should actually believe everything that people are saying in Washington. Maybe they actually mean what they say. Maybe people vote the way they're speaking right now and continue with their heels dug in on this stuff. And the Biden economic agenda potentially falls apart. Are you playing those odds? So I think I think there are some very real risks here. And I think you're absolutely correct is, you know, Senator McConnell has been saying for months that there aren't Republicans vote for a debt limit increase. And so I agree it is it is risky for the congressional leadership, the Democratic majority to not heed that warning. They have the ability to do it on their own. And given the stakes, and you know they're really playing with fire here, as as we've seen how the markets have reacted. You know you can't you can't mess around with the debt limit. There's real costs here. So uh, I I agree completely. Is that they ought to be listening to each other because there's some real serious risks. Well, that goes for infrastructure reconciliation as as well. Gordon Gray, I I, I saw today that President Biden met with both uh, Senators Manchin and Cinema. Uh, who have apparently been still holding the steering wheel when it comes to this debate and setting the the level for spending. As someone who worked as a senior policy advisor to Senator Rob Portman and as now a watcher of, of fiscal policy, what impact will those meetings have? Do you think we get a price tag at least out of these sessions today? So I think it's very hard if you're an individual senator, uh, particularly, you know, all eyes are on Manchin and Cinema. Uh, you know, they have been clear that they're not on board with what the House is doing, but they certainly haven't ruled out a lot of the spending and a lot of the tax increases that are in this bill. Yeah. So my own view is that, you know, the reconciliation bill is going to look different when it is on President Biden's desk. But I do think eventually Senators Manchin and Cinema, they're still Democrats. They're still going to get to get to yes. They're not going to defy a president in his uh, in his first year in office. So well, it's, it's going to change, but it's going to get signed. So, Gordon, when when people like Senator Portman and other dealmakers, in this case, Manchin and Cinema, sit down over a piece of legislation like this, is it about looking at each individual item and shrinking them or adjusting their timeline, tweaking numbers? Or is it about cutting off whole limbs, eliminating whole parts of the bill? It's going to be a it's going to be a bit of both. Uh, You know, we're some of the the very largest uh, policies in here. You know, one of the biggest 
uh, policies in here is about prescription drug negotiations, and there's already some no votes there in the House. So that was a big part of this bill, and and I don't expect to see that get across the finish line. Then you have uh, vision and dental uh, care in Medicare. It's very expensive. Uh, I, I see that probably not making it over the, the finish line. And then on the margins, you could see some changes to the length of some policies that really can affect the cost. So you're going to have a little bit of both. Some some things that the House wants just aren't going to get in there. And then I think some other as, aspects of this are going to just get uh, the scope and scale is going to is going to come down a little bit. And, and like I said, I eventually do think that Senators Manchin and Cinema get to yes. I bet you're glad I didn't ask you about the 14th Amendment. Uh, Yes, I I am glad on that front. Um, With with respect to the to the debt limit, um, I don't think that's a legal theory that. uh... (laughs) I was going to end. Gordon Gray, thanks for uh, for for playing along, director of fiscal policy at the American Action Forum, and for adding some real analysis to what we're seeing here behind the scenes. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Fed chair testifies on Capitol Hill and gets an earful just about tapering or interest rates, but on regulating banks. As I read on the terminal, Biden choice on Powell comes down to heeding Yellen or Warren. Yes, Senator Elizabeth Warren, of course, Democrat from Massachusetts, leans into Jay Powell during the Senate Banking Committee hearing. Here's what she said. Your record gives me grave concern over and over. You have acted to make our banking system less safe, and that makes you a dangerous man to head up the Fed, and it's why I will oppose your renomination. Wow, direct. A dangerous man. That is a line. It got everyone's attention. Reminded me of Iceman and Top Gun. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Ice man. And so we reassemble the panel. With Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, both of whom remember that movie. Jeannie, what are we talking about here? Is this going to be a standoff now with the White House, Elizabeth Warren, maybe other progressives who have been complaining about the way Jay Powell, for instance, has regulated banks? Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth Warren has, you know, come out strong today, um, but she is not alone. And I think that's what's important to keep in mind. We also heard people like Senator Menendez from New Jersey 
take on Powell about the lack of diversity at the central bank. Mm -hmm. And that is something else that Joe Biden is feeling pressure on. So I do think the White House, they seem to want to, you know, retain Powell. Um, That seems to be their inclination, although it's hard to read. But I do think Warren's remarks today and the statements we heard from other senators today are going, and these are the public statements. I can't imagine what she says privately and what's said privately, but I think they are going to put some pressure on the White House to think about how they move forward on this. Rick, I read on the Bloomberg, the president must now choose between Powell, supported by Yellen, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, who also testified today, and regarded as a shoe-in for bipartisan confirmation, or mollifying the progressive wing of the party embodied by Warren with a riskier, more liberal nominee. That sounds like Joe Biden to you? Uh, Yeah, sounds like Joe Biden to me. And it sounds like Elizabeth Warren has finally resurfaced as the Elizabeth Warren we all love. Uh, I mean, you know, she's she's she enters into the debate today uh, attacking the Federal Reserve chairman at a time when we have all these fiscal cliff deadlines uh, pursuing us. And and at a time when the the left wing of the Democratic Party, the progressives, uh, which aren't being very progressive right now, have basically put a full stop to the Biden economic agenda, the the infrastructure uh, package and the reconciliation bill. I mean, really all on their own. And so, uh, I, look, we always knew that they would show up at some point in the Biden administration, uh, but they've shown up in a big way this week and it's not productive for him. It's not productive for the country. And, and my guess is everyone's going to take a hit at this. Um, uh, I would not be surprised that this isn't a woodshed session uh, with Speaker Pelosi, because we know how that she feels about the progressive wing and what they're doing with this agenda. And if it's not reined in, this this administration could get to the end of this year and be in a shambles. Boy, when it comes to the Fed, uh, Jeannie, is, does this mean Lael Brainerd rising, in your view? It, it very well could. I, I do think, you know, my view of this is, is that Biden's natural inclination is, especially at this point, as things are so rocky at this point, to hold the line, toe the line and keep Powell where he is. I think that's Biden's natural moderate instincts. But I do think he is going to have to deal with progressives on this and we may see him go in another direction. So I, I don't I thought I thought Powell was a shoe in uh, maybe four months ago, but I'm not so certain today. And and I think the vocal nature of Elizabeth Warren's takedown today, if you will, yeah. I think it, it again is going to resonate with the White House. And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, we will see Janet Yellen and others, you know, be be talking to the president as well, obviously privately. But Elizabeth Warren is saying it publicly and the president would have to push back on that if he doesn't go along with her. As we spend time with Rick and Jeannie, the panel for the rest of the hour here on Bloomberg Sound On. Of course, anything could happen with what we have planned tomorrow night in Washington. As we discussed with Congressman Kildee at the beginning of the hour, it has been a Washington tradition since 1909. The Congressional Baseball Game. An annual bipartisan affair that reminds us of something bigger, something American, and back after a hiatus during covid It raises money for charity. It gives Democrats and Republicans a reason to throw the ball around, wear funny-looking uniforms. And the official website says it's enjoyed by thousands. But there are now questions that in 2021, even this bipartisan tradition may be on the rocks. As I'm walking through the House today, there was a briefing by Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York. He's part of the leadership, and he was talking about infrastructure and reconciliation, what we're going to do with the debt ceiling. And of course, 
He was asked about the baseball game and whether people would even be able to get along in this world of progressives fighting with moderates, fighting with conservatives. Here's what Congressman Jeffries said. We're going to keep the focus on the reason why the game takes place, which is, you know, to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for at-risk young people in the Washington, D.C. area, along with being able to, um, you know, participate in America's pastime. And hopefully people will leave the politics, you know, under the Capitol Dome. Keep the politics under the dome and off the diamond. Rick Davis, you probably went to a couple of those games. Congressman Kildee was talking about maybe a deal in the dugout. I wasn't trying to be too cute about that. Are we at the point where we can't play a ball game? Oh, I think we're going to have a ball game. Uh, it may actually be even more competitive than most of the Nationals games that we've watched lately <laughs> around here. So maybe maybe thousands of uh, people turn into hundreds of thousands of people to tune in. But uh, look, it's one of the traditions. Uh, we're in a hyper-partisan environment, no doubt about it. It's stopping good things from happening. Uh, but this is one thing that I think these guys pull together. They, they, they don't hate each other. They just like to fight. And fight on the diamond <laughs> is just fine with the rest of us. Is there some good to this, though, Jeannie, at least just the image of, uh, of members of Congress doing something other than arguing about policy and maybe even agreeing on some policy as they walk out of the park tomorrow night. There absolutely is. And that's why I'm so thrilled you're talking about it. It doesn't get enough attention. So many of these traditions seem to have fallen by the wayside or are done in private. Mm -hmm. So Americans don't get to see people from different parties and different walks of life in Washington gathering together um, to do something other than fight. So uh, this is America's (laughs) pastime. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that it's going forward and it's getting attention. It should go forward. These are the kinds of things that need to happen because these people have to to deal with each other for all of our sakes they have to deal with with each other make compromises and make deals and you know as we think about the government shutdown they need to do it pretty fast so i hope this game is a good one well yes right so okay let's let's fast forward to this time tomorrow they're getting ready to to swing away and have a good night at uh at nat stadium but rick what needs to happen in the next 24 hours if you're a lawmaker here and you know there's got to be a vote thursday at some point into Thursday night on a continuing resolution, if not infrastructure, what kind of progress actually needs to be made tomorrow? Uh, you know, I think tomorrow it's just a drafting thing for the a clean CR, right, mm-hmm. which will include um, money for the disasters in the Gulf. Uh, so I think that gets done in, in real time. I think that um, the, the, the leadership will present their, their, their bill and it'll get passed and, and we'll avoid that. Um, well, that cliff, that that cliff, uh, yes. the debt ceiling is another question. Right. But really, I think what the thing to watch this week and what will probably be debated in the dugouts at the ball game is going to be what are we doing about this uh, infrastructure bill? Right. Uh, Pelosi we'll promised a vote. A vote on the 27th and and it, it's not come. So she was talking big today about uh, splitting That's the right. linkages and moving forward with with infrastructure, which I got to believe is in the interest of the president. Uh, and and that's one of the reasons why you've seen this rebellion by the progressives. So uh, that, to me, is going to be the hot topic on second base. Uh, Will they vote on it, though? Or in, and if they do, can it pass, Rick? Uh, well, whether they vote on it or not is really up to Nancy Pelosi. And we know yes. what she says, right? She right. says repeatedly, I don't take votes that I can't win. That's right. And so if there's a vote, 
they'll win, according to Nancy Pelosi. She remembers uh, that cap and trade, the climate bills that never went where they thought they were going uh, a decade ago. Jeannie, does does Nancy Pelosi bring infrastructure to the floor or at least are we going to hear talk of that tomorrow that the vote's still on for Thursday? I I find it hard to imagine she can get that vote on Thursday. I think that wow. gets pushed back. You know, I woke up this morning and she was like Gwyneth Paltrow. She is consciously uncoupling <laughs> these two things. And of course, you know, oh, the progressives are not Chris Martin. They're not having any of it. Not and true. so that uncoupling is going to be what she has to tackle. She's got to give these progressives at least a serious framework with agreement from Manchin and Cinema to hold this vote. Or as Rick said, she's not going to hold the vote. I can't imagine you see that by Thursday. President Biden going to Chicago tomorrow uh, for a COVID event. Rick, we only have 30 seconds. Isn't that to get people on the plane to make a deal? Oh, absolutely. And that plane may never land until they get a number. (laughs) We'll be circling O'Hare indefinitely with Rick and Jeannie. Couldn't have better company for the fastest hour in politics. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Thanks to everybody for being a part of it. We'll meet back here tomorrow. God knows what we'll have to report, but it will be the facts here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.